Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to take a look at my other podcast. It is called Around the World in 80s Movies, obviously covering films of the 1980s. I've got about 120 so far at the time of this recording, and you can check that out at Quipster.net. Today I'm going to be getting into a film that is getting a lot of critical praise. It doesn't always get a lot of audience reaction, but I think that that may be part of the problem with marketing the film to certain demographics that are not necessarily going to enjoy the film, namely Adam Sandler's biggest comedy fans, because this film is not necessarily a comedy in the traditional sense of Adam Sandler films. It is called Uncut Gems, and it's a film by the Safdie brothers, Benny and Joshua Safdie. They also write the screenplay along with Ronald Bronstein. Adam Sandler is the star. Edina Menzel, Julia Fox, Kevin Garnett, Eric Bogosian, and Judd Hirsch appear in the film. It's an R-rated film. It does have pervasive, strong language. In fact, it's probably one of the top five in terms of throwing out the F-bomb of all time. It has violence, it has some sexual content, and brief drug use. The runtime is 2 hours and 15 minutes. Now, if you know Benny and Joshua Safdie, if you've seen their previous works, you know that they are sibling filmmakers known for being edgy, and that certainly does continue here with Uncut Gems. They had their hearts set on making this film a long time ago, in fact, about 10 years before it actually came out, shortly after the release of their acclaimed semi-autobiographical 2009 debut dramedy called Daddy Longlegs. It's also called Go Get Some Rosemary, for those of you who are looking back to their previous filmography. This is a drama that has some thriller elements. It's set in Manhattan's Diamond District, where their father, the real-life father, once worked. Benny and Joshua's father would come home and he would regale them with some pretty crazy stories of what actually goes on in the Diamond District, especially in the way he interacted with New York's most famous and wealthiest of clientele. They thought that this would make a pretty good movie if they would focus on some of the characters that they heard about. Each time they set to make it their next project after the previous film, but they ended up getting derailed because they would have other ideas and other opportunities that ended up presenting themselves, and so they would have to put it back on the shelf. After further making a name for themselves through their quirky but potent indie films, they ended up receiving, finally, some funding to make Uncut Gems back in 2016. They had just completed work on their film called Good Time, partially through Martin Scorsese's production company as well as through RT Features. They would make this their next project for sure, working from a script that they co-wrote with screenwriting partner Ronald Bronstein, who actually appeared as an actor in their first film. This is a script they had revised and revised and revised about 160 times, they speculate, over the decade since they had first had the idea to make it into a movie. And interestingly enough, when you watch the final product, it still, despite all of those revisions of script that was worked on so much, it has a very improvisational feel throughout the film. Now, Adam Sandler, he had been offered the chance to do this film before. In fact, back in 2010, he was sent the script shortly after their debut film, but Adam Sandler's handlers had no idea who these Safdie brothers were and why they would offer such a script to Adam Sandler, who was doing much different types of movies back then. They ended up returning the script without even letting Sandler see it. The story, though, was much different back then. In fact, it was kind of a two-hander. It featured two characters, an older and a younger man working for a jewelry merchant. 
Sandler was probably not even familiar with the Safties and would probably have declined to have played such an unlikable guy in a low-budget drama with subject matter that was likely not going to appeal to him or his fans. So they ended up going to Harvey Keitel, they revised the script, they envisioned him for a much older man, and they wanted to get in Amari Studemeyer, the basketball star, to play the younger man. They would age up the older character for the next revision in an effort to get Keitel's attention. Keitel had some back and forth with them for a few months, but then talks ended up dissipating. Producer Scott Rubin ended up helping out a few years later. He encouraged the screenwriters to find more humor, add some more jokes into their movie, and they made it more palatable such that a comedic actor would want to end up taking the role for a film that would probably be seen as pretty bleak otherwise. In a later revision, they ended up combining the elements of the two men into one man, and they made the character Jewish, and the opal was brought into the film right off the bat instead of halfway through the story as they had originally done in earlier scripts. By 2015, Adam Sandler was approached again, but they were told that he was indefinitely pretty much too busy to bother giving it a look. In 2016, they ended up courting Sasha Baron Cohen. He happened to be interested because of the Jewish jeweler angle. He thought that could provide some good comedy as well as some good acting for his part. He eventually did a table read for the part with a lot of other actors that were well-known and were thought to be cast at the time, but things didn't quite gel at that time. By 2017, Martin Scorsese ended up signing on to executive produce Jonah Hill, who had worked with Scorsese to acclaim with The Wolf of Wall Street, was also attached to take the starring role. A24 acquired the distribution rights to this film set in and around Manhattan's Diamond District. But unfortunately, the Safdies still had a hard time trying to reduce the age of their main character during their revisions for Jonah Hill to take the starring role. And in the interim, Jonah Hill ended up moving on, and he ended up directing a film of his own called Mid-90s, followed by Maniac, and he was unavailable, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, by this point, the Safties were well-known enough to approach Sandler again, who now saw how connected that they were with big names like Martin Scorsese and Scott Rudin making films with them, and and they wanted him for this role that already had the interest at one time of Sasha Baron Cohen and Jonah Hill, so he ended up being more respectful this time out. He wasn't the lock yet for the role, but they did get his attention with the emphasis on making the film a dark comedy that Sandler could probably sink his teeth into as an actor he found much more of appeal in the script, and he especially liked that they were going to make a push for awards consideration once it was all said and done. When he finally did get around to watching their previous film, the acclaimed Good Time, he went back and watched all of their other prior films, and he ended up enjoying those just as well. He immediately signed on after seeing their filmmaking prowess. Now, Uncut Gems, as a film, it's set in 2012. It's part a crime drama and part a character study. We follow the dealings of this main character played by Adam Sandler. His name is Howard Ratner. He's a New York jewelry merchant. He's doing business by appointment only in his highly secure private showroom in the Diamond District. Not all is peachy keen in Howard's life. His marriage is on the rocks. He has a mistress, and this mistress has begun to make him feel insecure his lack of work ethic begins to sour his customers, and he might even have colon cancer. His gambling addiction has gotten him into a lot of debt that he cannot pay back easily. He's a sucker for get-rich-quick schemes to try to keep himself out of trouble, and his latest one involves the procuring of a large, uncut Ethiopian black opal that may be worth up to a million dollars, he thinks. 
Enter into his shop Boston Celtic star Kevin Garnett, who ends up taking an immediate interest in purchasing this rare jewel upon seeing the black opal, but he's denied a sale because Howard has already had it set up to auction within a few days. So Garnett ends up borrowing the opal in exchange for one of his championship rings, and he has one of the best games of his career on the basketball court. It was the good luck charm he feels he has to have at the tail end of his career. In the meantime, selling that good luck charm to Garnett, Howard ends up pawning off Garnett's ring and using that money to bet big on Garnett's performance. Now, there's much more to the story than that, but I don't want to get into the details of the plot because I feel like part of the enjoyment is in not knowing exactly where things are going to go once the wheels are set in motion. Now, the Safties draw here on techniques that they've honed from their previous films. They build upon trying to keep audiences in a state of perpetual discomfort and also anticipation. They want us to feel the desperation for Howard at all times, but also to be interested in seeing how he might get out of each particular jam. The restless narrative ends up digging into our psyche as we see misery filling up one person's life, but they end up dangling happiness ever so slightly out of his reach, and that makes the agony all the more heightened. Howard here is not a particularly likable character. He earns all of the trouble he's in due to his many, many character flaws, and yet there are just enough redeeming qualities. He's kind of that uncut gem himself that he might be able to find a balance if he could find himself on the right track eventually. Unfortunately, the ability to make wise decisions, especially when he's desperate, seems elusive. Sandler says during their location shoot on 47th Street that he would observe real Diamond District jewelry merchants both at work and in their home to try to get a better sense of his character. All of these people from the district were ecstatic to have their neighborhood spotlighted in a film and opened up to the cast and the creative crew. Some of the real-life jewelers actually appear in the film in small roles and as extras. Sandler also studied gamblers and their self-destructive habits, particularly in regard to what keeps them injecting chaos into their lives in this obsession that they have with the next big wager. And Sandler, who was once told by an NYU acting professor that he should choose a different path, don't bother acting, he would go on to receive quite a few accolades for his performance in Uncut Gems, just as he did with Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. I believe a lot of the praise coasts on the element of surprise here. Sandler does actually a respectable job in the performance. He comes across with a sense of nuance, although the characterizations of the film, they're not particularly deep. This is a movie that keeps going. It's kind of like a shark, so it doesn't really give you depth, but it does keep moving and it keeps you interested in that way. I think where Sandler excels here is that he takes a thoroughly unlikable person and he ends up finding ways to make us sympathize with his plight of wanting people to be happy around him, but his flaws in terms of integrity and his selfish impulses get the better of him. The Safties do benefit from what these character actors bring to their respective roles, and I think Sandler should get some credit for carrying the picture, even if he doesn't really light up the screen with a powerhouse turn. I don't think that you're probably going to cast him in a Shakespearean theater performance after this, but for Sandler, it utilizes his strengths in a compelling way, and I think he can actually deliver quite well in a drama if it's in his wheelhouse, and I think that Uncut Gems does tap into that as well. The Safties here are continuing their habit of unintrusive camera work. They often shoot freely while out and about in the actual streets full of real people milling about their business. Cameras were placed in various locations so that their actors could walk and they could talk naturally without worrying about their positions in the shot. 
or in playing toward any particular camera. Most often they weren't even aware of where these cameras were located, so they gave it a much more naturalistic flow. Kevin Garnett, I think, also does solid work here, playing a fictionalized version of himself back in 2012 when he was still a very good player for the Boston Celtics. The Safties also considered uh, casting early on Maure Studemeyer, who ended up declining because he didn't want to cut his hair to what he looked like in his first year with the Knicks in 2010. Kobe Bryant was also approached. He was actually never sent the script because the Safties ended up learning from Kobe's people that he wanted to be a director, not an actor. And the current Philadelphia 76er star Joel Embiid was also considered to be put into this film, although things did not work out schedule-wise because he's still an NBA player. It was hard to find a window of opportunity to get him to be committed to the role. So they ended up going with Kevin Garnett and had set the film a few years in the past during the Eastern Conference semifinals where the Celtics ended up taking on the 76ers. The pop star known as The Weeknd makes his big screen debut here as well in a brief but very memorable scene. He's playing himself, a version of himself, performing in a club. The Weeknd happens to be a good friend of the Safties, and he's an avid film fanatic, kind of a cinephile in his own regard. So they ended up writing him into the movie, playing this kind of punkier version of himself that he felt he was back in the day. In the film, he performs a live version of an early track of his called The Morning, before he ends up getting into an altercation with a jealous Howard over his mistress. Now, speaking of music, some viewers may either be attracted or unnerved by the oversaturated score within Uncut Gems. The Safties ended up bringing in Daniel Lopatin to compose the score, blending in kind of a rare sound here of the movie. Moog One synthesizer, and it's very dizzying in terms of work. It sometimes feels incongruous to the drama on the screen and adds an extra layer of chaos to help to unsettle audiences from the comfort of familiarity. It does keep you a little bit at a distance and not sure of what's going on, very intentionally in that regard. Like its main character, Uncut Gems is going to end up becoming divisive, I think, in terms of likability, particularly among audiences that will expect a tidy story with characters that they want to enjoy and building up to a crowd-pleasing finale. As with Punch Drunk Love, that drew in Sandler fans expecting a typical one of his zany vehicles and ended up getting something completely different. There's kind of a bait-and-switch aspect here to Uncut Gems that is going to make some viewers feel like they aren't getting what they really signed up for. That's the unfortunate thing about being an actor who has built a brand like Adam Sandler. Once you step out of what your fans are accustomed to seeing, they're probably not going to like it. So like Howard Ratner, Sandler finds himself wanting to break out of being boxed in with expectations, but the people around him don't like him when he does. Uncut Gems, I think, is appropriately a bit of a diamond in the rough, so to speak. Lengthy, sometimes it's uneven, but it has so many positive facets that hold the attention throughout, even during the moments that are a bit hard to watch, mostly because we see Howard make fatal mistakes just when his salvation is within reach. That's so frustrating, and yet, if you're frustrated, that means you're really into the plight of Howard. We're drawn to these characters and their escalating sense of stakes, and that leads to a conclusion that certainly will find many viewers squirming in their seats. It is very uniquely presented, and I think it's incomparable to pretty much anything else that's currently out there in the theaters that isn't already directed by the Safdie brothers. Kind of intense film at times. It's not the kind of movie that I would recommend to everyone, 
But certainly, if this sounds of appeal to you, I do think that this is a good film. And I do recommend it at three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a movie that is worth going out of your way to see. If it at all sounds of appeal to you, give it a shot. You may end up actually loving the film in the end. It may take you a couple of times watching it, maybe over the years, to really cotton to it as well. So keep your expectation of a knockout performance right off the bat at bay, and you may find yourself surprised by Uncut Jams at three and a half stars out of four. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you have your own thoughts on Uncut Jams that you want to impart, you can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. You can also find links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram. Any of those are adequate ways to get in touch with me. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening, and please enjoy your time. Anytime you get to go to the movies. Thank you.